I wonder where that song takes you back to. Think where you were. 18 Feb 2018. President Zuma has resigned four days before. 14th of Feb 2018. Unthinkable, but he has. President Ramaphosa does not hand it to somebody else, or the ANC does not hand it to somebody else, as they did with Mbeki for Motlante. Ramaphosa takes over immediately. He charms the country. He charms the globe. South Africa is back. I remember John Steenhuisen saying after the speech, now we can get back to discussing the pressing issues of the country. Now that this is over, that this in reference to President Zuma's presidency. I know where I was. And although I had an option to stay there, there was just no ways I was going to stay there. I needed to come back, come back home. I know what day it was. I know what the weather was like. So do you. I bet you, you know where you were. Doing what? And more especially, how you felt when our number one said, Tumamina. I want to be there when the people start to turn it around, when they triumph over poverty. I want to be there when the people win the battle against AIDS. I want to lend a hand. I want to be there for the alcoholic. I want to be there for the drug addict. I want to be there for the victims of violence and abuse. I want to lend a hand. Send me. Female hi. economist lead for Budget Justice Coalition. Hi, hi, hi indeed. Take me back to that day that I've asked the nation to reflect on. Where were you? Your thoughts, your feelings, how you feel now, knowing how you felt then. Ah, hi, thank you so much for having me and good evening to your listeners. So that was actually very interesting. It, it brought back a few memories. Um, so that time in 2018 when all of this happened i was actually not in the country so i was actually um studying in the uk feeling very homesick i remember and just seeing all the posts on social media all the debates all the conversation and just wishing that i could be at home to really feel this euphoria but at the same time with all that being said i think because of the conscientization, I suppose, of being like in movements like the Feed for Tall movement, I think I, there was a little bit of um, concern from my side because I just think there's always a lot of things that are being said publicly. There's a lot of political commentary and I'm not so easily swayed by the commentary. I'm more interested in the actual, like what actually happens after that because I feel like you can say so many things about and, and create a vision for the world, but if you don't actually implement those things, it just falls short and it feels, it, it has implications on our psyche. And so I, I was a little bit skeptical, but I do remember that day and just remembering a lot of people were looking forward um, to this new dawn that, brought, um, that was brought on in this country. 
And that is essentially the question. The new dawn that was promised this time six years ago, has it become that? I'm asking this question broadly to you at home to engage, and I know it's going to obviously be political, but let's try and rationalize it. Of course, you can't extrapolate politics from this conversation. It's necessary. In fact, it's fundamental to it. But let us actually engage the president's promises against the president's delivery or the government that he has led in terms of the program of action that was clear for all to engage and how the state's performance in relation to that program of action, the needs of society vis-a-vis the delivery thereof, now that we have heard eight State of the Nation addresses from President Ramaphosa between Feb of 2018 and Feb of this year, last week to be specific. And I'm specifically asking you if you were listening to how we started the show to go back in time in 2018 when everybody, even those who would never perhaps have listened to Hugh Masegela on their own, engaging that song, Tumamin. I mean, I remember Bucky's Boyta even saying, send me. That's how, that's how much of appeal perhaps the president was able to engage in the nation. The question is, where were you then? What were your feelings then? What hopes did you harbor? And how much of what you were feeling and hoping for then can you report back on now? In other words, how do you review the president and the government that has led his performance? Are you better off now? Are you in the same position? Or even worse than those two, are you worse off than where you were in the beginning? And the conversation I'm having right now with us is with Ms. Matsiris Olengwasa. Ma'am, le- le- let's talk about, perhaps I propose to engage this conversation in three ways or in three themes. Government performance, open, close bracket, trust and confidence on key social justice issues. I mean, the core of what makes a society a society. Access to food, to water, to shelter, to health care, to education and basic services redounding to the people. That's essentially what it is. So trust, confidence and in, in the state's capacity and ability to deliver on basic social services. Second. The impact of COVID, I mean, let us be fair, it has never before happened, bar 100 years before, what COVID was. And for a solid two and a half years, that's what government resources and programs essentially had to focus on. Certainly a lockdown of the kind that we experienced for 45 days between March and April of 2020, no administration can ever plan for that and no society by extension can plan for that. He had to deal with that and he had to deal with it head on. That's the second theme, if you will, that we have to engage. And then finally, this is my take on things, the global standing South Africa enjoys in the years of Ramaphosa because in as much as he has obligations domestically, which are fundamental, He's operating in a global village. That's why we have the kind of relations we have. Historically, some new and some made or broken by the last six years and the events that have taken place. So three themes. Start off, please, with the trust and confidence in government and her capacity to deliver on the basic mandate of a government. Social services, social security, socioeconomic stability and related growth. How do you review the president? Sure. So I, in answering all of this, I um, would like to put the disclaimer that I'm a budget researcher at Section 27, in addition to being a member of the Budget Justice Coalition. And so we focus predominantly on education and healthcare, um, mm-hmm. which are constitutionally protected um, rights and the realization of those. 
So many of my answers will sure, um, I relate specifically yeah, to, to those areas. Um, and we'll also speak a lot about the budget because it's budget speech coming up um, and a very important um, piece of legislation and policy for the rest of the country. Brilliant. So the first metric um, that you have proposed is to review social services and the delivery of social services in this country. And so as previously, and I'm sure everyone in the country knows the State of the Nation Address is quite a, um, is laden in political commitments and promises in so many offerings and, and really to inspire hope towards people. However, shortly after that, um, the budget speech arrives and that's really, I think, an assessment and like a true assessment of how government is actually going to realize those things. Because it's one thing to say that you want to eliminate, eliminate poverty, um, eliminate inequality, do all these things that, you know, we can all say that. But if you like, depending on how you allocate your resources and your time, that will tell us like exactly how you intend to do that and whether you're actually committed to it or, or not. And so to answer like that being said, um, overall, the promises of the past eight, um, 10 years, the past eight State of the Nation addresses have been largely welcomed. And as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, they brought in a lot of confidence and a lot of a renewed hope in the people in this country. However, we've been experiencing the past decade systematic underinvestment in particular in service delivery, particularly education, healthcare, social development, and a few others. But there have been budget cuts where the budget or the allocations that are towards these interventions that are promised in the state of the nation are actually not then given enough resources to achieve those things. Um, so that's been a criticism that civil society has had um, regarding the administration, because on the one hand, it just means that there's not enough money to actually um, deliver these social services um, under, and then review like those promises that were made in um, like statements like the State of the Nation Address. But then also, we have issues in this country of, as we know, um, corruption, but also under spending of the funding that's allocated towards it. And so it means that there's constraints, like various constraints happening, especially from a resource level in actually achieving um, the delivery of social services. And so with that being said, I would say that um, the, uh, um, the administration could have done a lot better um, in delivering social services. And the best way they could have done that is by making sure that these services are well-resourced and also in introducing for um, ways to improve the quality of spend, which include uh, capacity building in the provinces, but also proper consequence management for any form of corruption. So those are ways that they could have done better. And of course, they could have done better by having a more human rights-centered allocation to towards the budget, because the area that received the highest rate of growth has been like the interest on our debt, as opposed to um, investment in education and healthcare, which we'll see the implications of that in years to come, unfortunately. And then the second area um, that you've mentioned was about the COVID-19 pandemic. Before you get there, before you get yeah, there, sure. I do want to sort of delve into a bit on, on the statement, which for now remains opaque to me. What do you mean by a human rights-centered or focused budgeting? I mean, that's an interesting statement. I've never heard of that. What does that mean? Sure. So it's a good 
um, question that you actually asked because often when people think of the budget speech or budget policy, um, it seems like quite far removed from the everyday person. But actually, if you actually think about it, like the country and the government has an obligation to, in the sense that, in the fact that they're collecting taxes from everyone in the country, be it through salaries, be it through consumption like VAT, be it through fuel levies, like, you know, the rising cost of um, buying taxi fare, all of those things, those are all monies that the government collects from people. However, when, and and then when you make the budget and when they um, speak, speak, um, sorry, <laughs> when they um, report back on the budget and how the funding is actually spent, it needs to be in a way that they are providing the resources, or well, providing enough resources for constitutionally um, protected rights, including basic education, health care, but also other social protection measures. And so there's a constitution that ensures, that makes sure that the budget has to be allocated towards these services. Or, um, yeah, th- th- that's like, those are constitutionally protected. However, um, over the past 10 years, the budget, and, you know, anyone can go into the budget, while it mentions education, health care, it seems that the priorities for the National Treasury, and this is like civil society's complaints, is that the budget ends up being prioritizing other areas like paying off debt at the expense of investing in education and health care and creating that, that um, trade-off between the, the two of them. And so we have been calling as, as civil society for a budget that's not just um, in the interest of paying back debt or making only one group of stakeholders happy, which is um, businesses and the, and the public uh, private sector, but also just ensuring that the money that everybody spends that contribute, um, we contribute to the tax pool is actually um, invested in protecting constitutionally, um, well, in, in realizing constitutionally protected um, I mean, what rights. you're saying is not... It, it's true. I mean, there, there, there's no way one can argue or gainsay what you say. But but here's where I'm perhaps inclined just to add more context perhaps to what might be a presidential challenge, albeit in a presidential prerogative context. The president has, of course, to honor all obligations of the Constitution. So, for instance, education is an obligation, and he has to improve that. Healthcare is an obligation, he has to improve that. Social security, especially access to food and water. Housing, the best interests of the child. I mean, if you look at the socioeconomic rights in Chapter 2 of the Constitution, that's essentially how a nation is judged in terms of the health, welfare, and development of a country. Mm. But there are competing rights or competing interests. Let me not say competing rights because that's not necessarily true. But certainly competing interests in an environment of limited resources. Perhaps the question to you is where can you fault the president and his government's performance in ensuring that they move the needle? Okay, let me keep it to your province of expertise. Education, where have they failed in the education promise, where have they failed in the promise for healthcare? What are your thoughts on that? Sure. So one of the uh, have they failed? Perhaps that's even a leading question. Has the government failed? If so, yes. where? How? 
So one of the areas I think they could have really done better over the past administration is the eradication of pit latrines. So in a meeting that we had with Parliament, one of the parliamentarians actually mentioned that that was an issue for them when they were growing up and going to school. And it's quite saddening to know that in at the time it was last year, so in 2023, that the budget, like that, we still have issues of learners are still risking their lives um, using unsafe sanitary um, measures such as unsafe pit latrines in order to access basic education. And this has been going on for many, many years, and it just seems that we have not quite been able to eliminate that. So so that's one of the areas that um, could have been done a lot better. Other areas have been that the allocation towards um, hiring new teachers, hiring nurses and hiring doctors has been quite faulty because what we have now is it's 2024 and we have a lot actually reports of doctors, nurses and teachers who are qualified not being able to access, um, not being not being employed. But at the same time, the rate of people who are using or the number of people who are using um, healthcare services and education and, and public schools has been rising even higher. And so what we have is we do have the supply of doctors, nurses, teachers, but we haven't been able to translate that into um, giving out, like providing services like um, education and healthcare. So that's definitely an area, another area that is um, concerning. And we hope that the next administration or in the next few years, that this is a, a trend that gets overcome. But also overall that um, national treasury, so government from the funding perspective hasn't explored options for raising revenues, for raising taxes, for, for um, funding the country in a way that centers human rights. I mean, if you search... Did you say raising like, taxes? Well, uh, raising revenues. And okay. And so not necessarily... Um, raising taxes in that example. So it could be raising taxes, it could be taking on debt, it could be budget cuts. There's so many options um, for the ways that are done. And this is not to prescribe specifically because it is their job to do so, but to say that whichever method is being chosen, so these past few years, and especially last year, has been budget cuts, they have not elaborated or shown how they're going to protect the realization to these um, constitutional rights of basic education and healthcare in a way that okay. doesn't infringe on those rights. I, I, I do have Lukon Amguni on the line because his previous conversation with another platform did overrun, so we are very happy to have Lukon. Um, he's the ED, acting ED, albeit at Rivonia Circle and a political commentator. I think his name resonates with many of you who are listening to this show. Let's just recap. We are having a conversation of reviewing President Ramaphosa and his administration of the last six years' performance, and I've tried to limit the scope of the engagement to government performance on key socio-economic indicators in terms of the basics of what is in Chapter 2 of the Constitution, access to education, food, water, health care, social development, social security, the protection of property, among other things, and just generally at a state that can say, okay, we've moved the needle. It's a simple question. Has the president delivered on that? Yes, yes. Okay, great. Tell us where, why you think so. If not, well, then perhaps tell us where things could have been differently done or better done, albeit... 
impact of COVID-19 on all of this, because I don't think we can dismiss altogether the impact of COVID-19. Every government was hit and many are struggling to recover from that. It's a question of now how they reconfigure state programs to recover very quickly and oversee the the impact of COVID to a minimum as possible. And frankly speaking, I think it is important to have a conversation about President Ramaphosa's standing in the global community. So we'll do a quick check. Those of you who want to participate, please call us, 86 triple zero twenty thirty two. Send us a voice note as well or a WhatsApp text on O six one four one oh four one oh seven. I repeat O six one four one oh four one oh seven and and just offer your comment on the last six years of government performance, the issues around COVID nineteen that you believe are of importance for you to make mention now in the context of this conversation. The same is true for South Africa led by Ramaphosa as to our position on the global standing. I do have a couple of clips to pay, perhaps to offer some context. So after the break, we continue with the conversation. Please stay tuned. Hi, hi, Putwami. This is Kevin from Tutuza. Yo, you know, my guy, on that day when he said things are going to be different, like a lot of South Africans expected a lot from him. Having a new president that was coming him, um, a lot of people really, really believed that things were going to change, things were going to turn around for South Africa, but it never happened until now. We just have to wait and see in the next elections. Shop this is given from the Tuesday. Uh, so as I still believe that uh... Uh, the current president is the person to be trusted. I don't see any other person coming up with such a vibe to Mamina. This is the person we still need to send. Take for instance, now that people are being arrested and many things are happening. But uh, yes, I must admit they are failures, but uh, let's be hopeful. I hope that he comes back and as you win in majority and come back again. Thank you, but then go and I can remember the day well, but my heart felt with fear because I knew he is coming as the same cattle of the same kraal called the ANC. A lion hiding in the skin of a goat. I remembered, Marigana. It is so sad to find our country in this state. Monidi Motlabane from Bitsong in Tawong. Lukwanamguni, you have for the best part of this administration been in mainstream media engaging these issues as I am with you this evening. Your review of the president's performance, specifically engaging issues of socioeconomic stability, social justice and related growth, your thoughts on that and the impact of Marikana, if perhaps you are so inclined to remark on that, please. Good evening. Thanks for joining. Uh, good evening, my dear brother, and good evening to the, the listeners at uh, uh, SAFM. I, I remarked earlier this year that uh, if the president were my student, I would have failed him without the option of a supplementary exam. And... <clears throat> That is because, simply put, uh, the president came on a ticket of a reform agenda to try and turn around the trajectory um, of um, the country in terms of where we were, particularly insofar as what was deemed then the hollowing out of institutions. So there was a lot of institutional rebuilding to avert a further decline, particularly 
as you pointed to socioeconomic uh, indicators. Now, we've got a number of rights that are socioeconomic rights stipulated um, in our constitution. Uh, I know we quickly run to un- unemployment, but um, even in a condition of unemployment, there are certain entitlements that South Africans have, um, which are their right to health, their right to education, right to water, shelter, and of course the right to life. And the things that have really threatened people's right to life in this country is the inability to deliver certain services right across the spheres of government. And the national government is duty-bound to promote cooperative governance across all the spheres. So it's not always quite the case that you quickly say, no, the municipality should have done that and not necessarily uh, the the president. You'll remember in 2018, when the president came in to to fill in and complete the term of President Zuma, that he came on a ticket really to think carefully about what had gone wrong in the social fabric of our country and how to bring together different partners and actors. And so the idea of uh, social compacting was born, uh, which was about making sure that business leaders, labor, uh, civil so- uh, society through civil society, there is a coming together, um, a meeting of minds, creating the necessary compromises, and sparing certain, uh, you know, industries into, into, into growth and sustainability. So various master plans for different industries uh, were designed. And yes, you're quite correct. I mean, COVID-19 um, was a serious problem uh, that created a shock uh, into the system, particularly into the global trade system, uh, given how much um, people rely on, on, on imports, especially from, 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 from China. Uh, of course, we also had the July unrest, which in part was a part of political mismanagement uh, in not preparing the country for an arrest of a former head of state when that had never happened um, before in our country. But, I mean, if you look at the stories that we hear today and just the lack of urgency and intervention, whether you hear about children in the Eastern Cape dying because of hunger. And I mean, there's been quite a number of reports now trying to highlight the same issue in the last three to four weeks. Uh, But there's really just no agency in responding to to a very material uh, issue. And it's the same province where two mothers uh, killed themselves allegedly after being unable to look after their children. So they killed themselves and their children. Now, those issues, when you look at them carefully, are but a symptom of a wider crippling in a system that should be uh, delivering. And I'm not, I'm not confident at all that, uh, despite the issues of, um, you know, COVID-19, the July unrest, some flooding in certain sections of our country, uh, particularly in KZN and Northwest and parts of the Eastern Cape, I'm uncertain though that there's been serious attention paid to the things that can help the country be on a turnaround trajectory, be on a developmental trajectory, and an economic repair rebuilding process uh, so that this social justice you talk about um, is, is, is realized. Of course, lastly, I mean, you asked me about uh, uh, thoughts on Marikana. I, I think... Um, uh, no, 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 that, that, that was a message from a listener that refers oh, to Marikana. Oh. Oh, 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 no, the, the, reference, the reference to Marikana is quite interesting, and I think for me it's the measure of the man in terms of just his own 
ability at conscience and um, whatever we may think about what regard Marukana and so on. At the funeral of the late Winnie Matigizela Mandela, the president uh, sort of, uh, you know, restated that he had committed to go with her uh, to Marukana and that he would do so. And the fact that his office kept uh, making various excuses as to why he had not gone. Uh, I think if he had genuinely wanted to uh, rebuild or repair some relations between himself and that community, that would have long have happened. And I think um, with him being in office as president for six years now, um, he he could have uh, repaired his relations with that community and it's probably a measure of uh, his lack of care. And if that lack of care translates into how he governs, then uh, it's quite evident then what uh, should be the outcome of his uh, leadership style. Let me get contributions from the listeners at home. I've got two and the producers instruct me and I absolutely have to apologize that I have to agree. There have to be quick calls, of course, given the nature of the conversation and the traffic that we are having to engage on the WhatsApp platform as well in this order. Colin in Cape Town, Mike in Newlands, two quick calls, please. In my language, you say, ram, ram, jui. Colin. Oh, good evening, Mr. Gezer. Good evening, Mr. Gezer. I was very disappointed. I thought um, he's going to talk about what he did as in government in the last six years, what he achieved and what he did not achieve. Apologize where he went wrong and give credit what he did. But to bring up the whole 30 years, to me, that was rubbish. That was rubbish. Because we know what happened in the last 25 years, 30 years now. All the SOEs, ESCOM, Post office, you name it. So now everybody collapsed. They all collapsed. The green bailouts, the green bailouts. He never spoke about that. He spoke about the uh, decrease of dropouts at school. I just heard now on the radio sometimes. Colin, I have to cut you. I'm okay, sorry. You, I don't sorry. mean to be rude, but I simply don't have the luxury of time. Mike in Newlands, I don't want that to be your fate, so please work with me. Your thoughts. Thank you, thank you, and good evening to your guest. I would like you just to try and help me understand what actually makes uh, Ramaphosa the man that he is. I simply don't understand how a man can come on stage, just lie the way he does, and he literally lies. Nobody's going to dispute that. In fact, you all know that the whole NEC took a decision to lie to protect Zuma in the in the um, case of the Tartu. We know that he sat by his Essa Domini and 160 black people died. He, he has an SANDS that beats up people. Remember, they killed Colin Kozer. And, and all these things come a billion rand a day. We've got a billion rand a day that we are paying to pay off our debts. And we've got 200 black children that died just in the Cape Times today. They quoted 197 children died just in the Eastern Cape in 12 months. What on earth drives this man? What is he trying to achieve? Because I simply don't understand. Because he almost like he wants to kill the country. Thanks very much, Mr. President. Thanks, Mike. Thanks indeed. Life is a demand. You probably want to check the list of the names of the persons who lost their lives in the result of what the Gauteng Department of Health did. It was not exclusively African persons. It was South Africans. Nonetheless, I get the point. Let's wrap this conversation up, unfortunately, because we don't have too much time. Your summary of the comments your summary of the messages, your summary of what the other guest has had to say. Matsiriso, can I give you a minute? No more. Sure. Um, so in conclusion, we'll just say that um, 
in order, yes, there can be political promises. We can say all kinds of things and make all kinds of promises to the people of this country. But until we actually adequately invest in those things, like, you know, money talks at the end of the day in the economy that we live in, and until we allocate enough funding towards education, health, social protection, and eliminating poverty in this country, really all of these just end up um, floating into the air as just political promises, and that's merely it. So much appreciated. Thank you so much, Ms. Matsuriso Lengwasa, feminist economist, feminist economics lead, I beg your pardon, for Budget Justice Coalition. She also confirmed that she's at Section 27. Look on Amguni, I beg your pardon for obviously the truncated time that otherwise was available, but your closing remarks, having heard everybody and the comments that have come. Now, I think uh, one of the callers is, is, is rightly frustrated by how the president framed his speech on Thursday when doing SONA, I mean, his baseline was the wrong baseline because effectively he was saying, well, he was giving an overall ANC in government speech and tapping into the successes that happened at particular eras when he was not even part of government. And and, and, and I think the fair reflection, and we, it's a practice that has not really been entrenched in South Africa, and I suppose it's for citizens and voters to insist on these kind of things. Uh, in other jurisdictions around the world, you currently say, I've been in office for three years. This is what I've managed to do for growth of our economy, for development of people, for creation of jobs, and for the reduction of the cost of living for, 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 for people. And uh, and if you have not done those things, you are most likely not to be voted back into office. I think well. here... There is a lot of tapping into the 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 the, the 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 hegemony of the governing party, and there's no urgency to highlight, you know, the the successes uh, in office. Because if there were successes in office, I doubt he would have to run away and uh, and go into history uh, to to show us what successes have looked like in 30 years. Very well, Lukona, thank you so much for your time. I certainly do appreciate that. And of course, we've run quite over time, but um, we'll make compensation and allowance for that because the next guest, of course, he himself commands his own respect and time on the platform. And perhaps some of the issues that were discussed and commented on in this segment that is now about to make way for him is... What do we make then of the last 30 years? Because it is clear specifically specifically what Lukon is referring to, that it wasn't just an account of this administration, but of the administrations before. Well, it was perhaps a speech that had to encapsulate the democratic dispensation now in its 30th year. And perhaps to the extent that that was in place or out of place, let's engage with a guest after the break, Mr. Mwelez Mbeki, a review of the ANC government in democratic South Africa 30 years on.